Thank you, Nolan. Appreciate that. I uh, wrestled over what direction to take this. This passage is familiar to a lot of us. It's been preached a thousand times and ingrained in our culture. Uh, do I talk about the shame of the younger brother? Do I talk about the wild living, the scourge of the older brother's jealousy, or God calling us home? And I wanted to take it in a different direction, uh, one that uh, I hope breathes life uh, and also challenges you. Now let's start with a, a prayer from St. Francis of Assisi, uh, the words of which have inspired a well-known uh, hymn of ours. Let's pray. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let us pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. As Mitch uh, mentioned, last week we looked at a, a beautiful piece of art by Rublev, uh, that we use to examine a lot of the aspects of the Trinity in light of Scripture. We won't dive as deep into this painting, but I wanted it to be there uh, because I think this is a, a painting from Rembrandt. Uh, I think it um, is important because Rembrandt deeply understood the role of the prodigal. Uh, if you go through some of his paintings and research some of his life, uh, I'd encourage you to do that. But I, I want it to be there to, to guide us through a couple of things. See, like many, I feel a connection to a specific child in the story. I'm sure that you've all thought I must be the older child, the perfect child, and how could you not? In many ways, I started out like the older child. I was the one that was leading the devos in my youth group, and I had so many LTC gold medals. You have no idea. The only reason I did LTC was to have more gold than my siblings, and I did. But that changed throughout time. When I was 14, my mom got cancer, as many of y'all know. And uh, at that same time, I, I learned what abuse was. Now I understand that's a place of privilege that I could be so sheltered from hurt for so long, and so many learn much quicker and much harder that the world can be like that. I understand, but this is my experience, and it hit me at, at 14, and I quite literally left home by 16, confronted with this concept of God that I did not understand. I completely rejected everything my parents taught me, lived my life I, I'd always wanted to live, rejected the concept of this good God that had created a system in which this was possible. And I did that for two years, 16 through 18. I was living on my own. And I'm not alone in this. In fact, I think there are a number of stories in this church that might surprise you. And I often wonder what communion would look like if we truly knew who we were communing next to. If we knew the stories of those around us. Yes, even in church. Especially in church. We have people who identify with the older son 
the ones who might struggle with judgment or anger or legalism, perpetually misunderstanding the Father's grace and the Father's gifts. We have those who identify with the younger son, the ones who never felt quite satisfied and were quick to fracture their relationships, looking after what might soothe their mind or pique their interest, also perpetually misunderstanding the Father's gifts and the Father's grace. But fundamentally, I think both sons misunderstand the Father. I think of all the sermons questioning which son you are, and they're right to do so. They're good, but whether or not you're the older son or the younger son, the outsider looking in or the insider looking out, I think how a challenge that you're called to be the Father. Yes, this has primarily always been read in, in, in the concept of which son are you and how can you relate. And of course, we're going back to the arms of the Father. But John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. But there's one big problem. Well, there are a lot of problems, but there's one glaring one to me. We get stuck on which son we are because I think we all have trouble understanding the father. Shocking. A child who doesn't understand their parent. Imagine that. And I want to draw attention to, um, to this. There's a documentary that I love. It's called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Uh, and this is one of the scenes from it, and I'd encourage everyone to watch it. But hydrate first, because you will cry many times, or maybe that's just me. But this is a, a moment that is particularly intimate. See, the man is Francois Clemens, and the pool below that they dip their feet in has deep meaning. Today, the small gesture might, might seem insignificant, but in 1969, it was considerable. Like public fountains, public transportation, public schools, the public pool had become a battleground of racial segregation. And under the Jim Crow era policy, not only could black and white people not swim at the same time, but many pools were entirely off limits, fueled by a fear that African Americans carried a disease and that there were physically intimate contexts. Like the lunch counter and the public buses, swimming pools became a point of protest. Both black and white protesters staged wade-ins and swim-ins at the beaches and the community pools. Just like at the sit-ins, local authorities responded with arrests and sometimes violence. One iconic image from June 1964 shows a hotel manager dumping muriatic acid in a pool of black and white bathers while a young black woman clings to a white man in terror. For those of you that don't know, Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian minister. His mission was for people, yes, children, but for all people, to instill love in them. And Francois Clemens recounts this moment. See, Mr. Rogers chose this the small pool to break some of the myths and the cultural barriers that were in front of him. And every time they did this, as it became a staple in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, he would say, I love you just the way you are. 
Francois in the documentary says, about four years of saying that, I, I paused as he was looking rather intently at me when he said it. I said, were you talking to me? He said, oh, Francois, I've been talking to you for four years. At which point, he said he broke down crying because no man had ever told him that he loved him before. He said, I hadn't heard it from my father. I hadn't heard it from my stepfather. He said, and that's when I knew I loved Mr. Rogers. And when he became my surrogate father. You see, I think a lot of us know logically that we are loved. I think a lot of us know to some degree that we're forgiven. But I don't know if all of us feel it. I don't know if it's become so internalized that it's something that you know, that, something, that it's something ingrained into your very DNA. This was a struggle for me, possibly the hardest struggle for me. You see, after leaving home, I had no identity. My friends only wanted to be around me because I paid for the drugs that we took. But at night, I was still alone. Well, I was alone with Charlie my dog that you've probably seen wandering this church and now you know why see for two years I went through that and as it got to be my summer before entering college I had a decision to make there was a camp that I grew up going to that many many of the students in our youth group go to called Blue Haven and I hadn't gone for a couple of years and see, I had left the church. I did not believe in God. I did not believe in what they were selling. But I did miss my friends. See, I attended that, that camp with them for seven years. And so I said, I'll do it. And I went there completely rejecting everything. Until one of the nights, it was a Wednesday night, they were speaking in the chapel. And they spoke about a particularly uh, intimate subject, and I, I got up and I left. And I remember so clearly, one by one, every person in my cabin, they got up and they followed me outside. And they looked at the scars on my arm. They didn't say anything. They didn't quote anything. They didn't try to fix anything. They simply wept with me. My counselor came out and did the same. And they went and they got my sister, who was also a counselor at the time, and she came over. She didn't tell me anything. She didn't try to fix anything. She just wept over me. Listen, I want you to listen. God's love is demonstrated on the cross, yes, and it's shown throughout Scripture. His love is displayed for all to see. It's the foundation of the earth, the unrelenting pursuit of a forgiving God. But so often that love is felt in the church. If we are the feet and the hands of Christ, then we must be the feet that dip into the waters of division. The hands that dry the feet of those who never felt that love or that care. You see, we belong to one another. And I get that from a quote 
from Mother Teresa who said, if we do not feel at peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to one another. Listen, we belong to one another. We're cut from the same sacred cloth. We share the same kindred spirit. And it is my great desire to help others acknowledge their worth and believe in the power of their unique story. I believe nobody should be forced to shrink from shame and yet even I am consistently guilty of diminishing my own light for fear of rejection, critique, and conflict, and sometimes the deepest truths are much easier to believe for someone else than for yourself. All of the commands throughout Scripture, don't do this, do that, don't do this, do that, the end goal was always that we might love God and love others. If you've ever wondered why Jesus said we should love our neighbor as ourselves, it's because he meant that you are your neighbor. You were not fully you without me being fully me. When I am not fully I, we cannot be fully we. Humanity is connected. We are one family, and that is why we are called the body of Christ. And we should not be caught up in the tragedy that humanity unravels like a sweater, loose at the seams, becoming one long thread of violence, judgment, and hate that spans our histories but we are connected to one another. You and your neighbor are one and the same. The person sitting next to you may be in deep need of feeling the forgiveness of Christ, the embrace of the Father, and it's one thing to understand, so it's a whole other thing to know. Again, I say, whether you're the younger brother or the older brother in this story, you are called to be the Father. Parents, we have a generation of kids facing levels of masochism, self-deprecation that are unheard of. Every the aspects of society are bent towards telling them they're not enough. Children, that's not unique to you. Your parents have felt that inadequacy before. As a secret, I bet they probably still do. I know it's difficult. I talked to my parents about their experience with me this last week. Come talk to me about what my dad said, because I don't think I can say that without completely derailing myself. did say, though, one line, I think parents never lose hope for their children. That has been my experience, and I've witnessed it in other parents. I ask myself, what did I do or didn't do that caused this? And that's human. Parents, it's not always about what you do or don't do. The most meaning thing, meaningful thing to me was knowing that my parents were consistently praying. Not because they told me, but because I knew. I knew their character, and I knew, talking to my dad later on, he said that he felt like James, with the knees of a camel, constantly praying. Do we have the readiness, the compassion, the willingness to be in relationship with each other? You see, I think this world is starved for communion. We have become unquestioned masters of our own shrinking kingdoms, and empathy starves in those hermetically sealed containers of self, and goodness goes there to die. 
What a contrast to the way of the Trinity. The Father and Son and Spirit ever giving to each other and to us. We, not you, but we, are intrinsically like the Trinity in that we live in absolute relatedness. We call this love. We really were made for love, and outside of it we die very quickly. And our spiritual lineage tells us that love is personal, even saying God is love. So again I say we belong to each other. There's another thing that, that Mr. Rogers did that was countercultural. He said that the world was speeding up, that all of the shows were about uh, action and bright lights. And so he did something where he simply put a timer down and he said, this is how long a minute is. And they sat in silence for a minute. I'd like to take that, and though we're uncomfortable with silence, I want to say, who has been the father to you? It could be a spouse, it could be a literal parent, mother or father, could be a friend, I don't know. But I'd like if we took one minute and just processed together one person who has been the father to you. want us to celebrate that connectedness. Let us soak in the truth of our worth. Let us remind each other of the source of our relationship. Whether you are the younger or the older brother, we are called to be the father for we belong.